One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tonight on Piers Morgan Uncensored with me Richard Tice and Isabel Oakshot. Yes, it's 2023. But is it really a happy new year after all? Britain's faced five days of absolute misery in the most disruptive rail strikes we've seen for ages. We'll go toe-to-toe with a former rail union boss as there are warnings the strikes could go on for many, many months. And it's not just the trains that are in chaos. The NHS is in crisis, with reports that as many as 500 people a week are dying because of delays in emergency care. So, is it time to get in the army to sort things out once and for all? I would like to get my father back. I would like to have my brother back. Does he really mean it, or is this just yet another cynical, massive, money-making exercise for Prince Harry at the expense of his beloved family? We'll debate that later in the programme. Live. From London, this is Here's Morgan Uncensored with Richard Tice and Isabel Oakshot. And a very happy welcome to the first Piers Morgan Uncensored of 2023 with me, Richard Tice, and Isabel Oakshot, taking control this week whilst Piers finishes his festive holidays. And given the state of the way the country is in, we can completely understand why he's not exactly rushing back. Now... A new year, it's about new starts, surely. Drawing a line under the bad stuff that happened last year and hopefully feeling a bit optimistic about what's to come. New hope, new ideas, new determination to do things that little bit better. Well, that's the theory. My dream is that just as one of the largest economies and one of the most developed nations in the world, surely we should be well run, properly, properly organised, with low taxes, great public services, things working reliably and preferably on time. Surely that's not too much to ask, is it? Mm, uh, Yeah, (laughs) it feels like that is a pretty distant hope right now. Now, look, I want to be optimistic about 2023, and I'm sure we are going to find some things to look forward to, but it really doesn't help, does it, when the first day back at work is marred by yet another train strike. And we're already paying record levels of taxes. People are thinking about that as self-assessment looms. And for many of us, we're going to have to pay even more come April. And what exactly are we getting in return for our hard-earned cash? And what exactly in Britain actually works? It seems to me that the more we pay, the worse a state public services are in. It's not just rail strikes which affect the whole of the rest of this week, but also the National Highways officers are on strike this week. The people who run driving tests are walking out. The Rural Payments Agency is striking. 
And next week, some ambulance workers are also joining in the fun, along with tube workers on the Elizabeth Line, the London Elizabeth Line, which only opened nine months ago. Not much good if there's nobody there to run it. Oh, yeah, and we've also got school teachers in Scotland and nurses again the week after. Uh, and meanwhile, the NHS crisis just gets worse. There's record pressure and delays in A&E departments, record waiting times for ambulances, a cancer crisis, all of this contributing to a terrible excess death crisis. Hundreds of people a week at the moment. The greatest increase in the 30 to 64 age bracket, so not just the very elderly. But don't worry. I mean, at least our borders are secure. No-one's entering the country in record numbers. Just imagine, just imagine the outcry that would be if nearly 46,000 illegal migrants crossed the English Channel in the last 12 months and if they were being housed in nice hotels at vast taxpayer expense. Yes, that's you and I. Frankly, Piers, the only reason for you to come back is to see your beloved Arsenal possibly win the Premier League for the first time in 19 years. Now, look, I do keep telling you to stop being so negative. <laughs> We're trying, but it's not easy. That is a very, very negative intro to the whole thing. I, look, I don't think people want to start the new year listening to a giant whinge fest, so we're going to try hard not to do that. Have you got anything positive to actually, say? Actually, I have. Have you noticed that seems, things do actually seem to work when, yes, the military are running things, when they're running the logistics? Passport control seemed to work rather well just before Christmas when the military were in charge, the building of the Nightingale Hospitals... The vaccine rollout, the Queen's extraordinary funeral arrangements, split-second perfect, to name just a few. So maybe, maybe we should get the military running the NHS. More on that a little bit later. But first, another source of chaos is, of course, our trains. Four in five services were cancelled today as 40,000 RMT workers walked out. And more's to come with passengers expected to face five days of misery this week. But the RMT boss, yes, Mick Lynch, he said from a picket line this morning that the government know what they need to do to reach a settlement. Well, we're out on strike again this morning in pursuit of the settlement. The government and the companies have not uh, put any fresh proposals to us. They know what needs to be done to move towards a settlement, how to work through the problems uh, and get to some documentation that we could all, all support. But that's not happened so far. We're hoping in the next few days that they will come to us and uh, propose more meetings and more sessions of negotiations. But at the moment, that's simply not there. The government has let these strikes go ahead, and that's unfortunate. But that seems to be their position at this time. Well, joining us now is former RMT Assistant General Secretary Steve Headley. Thanks for joining us today. I mean, these strikes are going nowhere, are they? They don't seem to be making any progress. Well, I mean, look, uh, the, the reality is uh, privatisation has been an absolute disaster. And we have the worst of all worlds now. We have the government really uh, getting the train operating companies, companies to manage the system rather than actually run it. The government are interfering in the negotiations in a negative way. And uh, it really, if you, you, you did your sort of uh, neo-fascist resume of where the country is, bring in the army. I don't but think it's neo-fascist. Well, yeah, you, you brought me on to get my opinion. So there you go. Um, and we, we have a situation where capitalism isn't working. We've got the NHS in crisis because it's been on the Yeah, but we're, we're here to talk, so we're here to talk Steve, about, here to talk about the RMT. 
where the median pay of your members is about uh, about just under forty thousand, about thirty-eight thousand pounds. So quite significantly above How the much average. Hmm? How much are you on? It's well, not that's really not relevant. Point. We're not on strike. We're, we're not on strike. <laughs> in, in the but, private but sector, nobody, nobody would notice if you did go on strike, would they? Well, look, well I think, no, I think they would. Would. No, no one was sitting in this. No, I'll tell you what would happen well, if we went. On, just Steve, what would happen if we went on strike is that we'd be replaced. Hmm. And the point is that the RMT members they're essentially holding they're holding the whole country to ransom. But you and can't. But oh, really? I know you're reading everything off your auto cue there because you're just standing in for somebody. Well, we're not but can you come up with something original? Can you come up with something? Original. Yeah, you're holding, holding the country ransom. to ransom. The, right? government, the government are holding the com country to ransom. They're the ones that are stopping the negotiations. The government are the ones who are preventing the train operating companies come to an agreement with the RMT. So they're holding the country to ransom, not the unions. So, so where's your original solution to this problem? My, my solution is to give people a, an inflation pay rise. That's not original. Sorry? That's not original. You said that we had nothing to, original to say. Well, you, you asked, you you asked me a question. Oh, what okay, is your all right. Well, okay, then. Well, let's, let's have a complete change of the economic system that we have. Let's have workers' councils take control in the country and see how your army get on end. Can but, they yeah, that's, the that's communism. No one wants that, communism right? in this country. Is that original Steve? enough? No one wants you? communism in this it's country. Not realistic what we want, what we want is our well, public services the, the, for which we're paying ever higher taxes to work properly. So we've got, we've got the sort of. You know, the, the, the variation of a British fascist party rolled out in front of us who want to bring in the army. Sorry, what, unfortunately, what army, what, unfortunately, the army can't run the railways, can they? Well, we didn't actually suggest well, the army well, did. Well, you did. But it, we well, were, what, what were you, no, you were reading it off the auto queue. You couldn't come were, up with an original idea, could you? I think if you were listening... You no, I was heard, listening. If you were listening, you would have heard that the context of the army suggestion was the NHS. Although oh. I have to say, I suspect that the army would do a better job of running the railways than is being well, done I, right I, now. I suspect Colonel Blimp okay, could so, do so, a better so, job right, than you so, two so, reading so, Steve, off the awful queue. Let's, auto queue. let's try and be positive, shall we, Steve? As opposed to negative, it is the new year after all. So you want an inflation-linked pay increase. That's what about right. the productivity improvement as opposed to the so, old archaic Spanish working practices that exist well, across what, a large what, what, part what of the What archaic Spanish working practices? Well, for example... About? Um, you have to sort of uh, decide voluntary working on Sundays, for example. So uh, do you not one. have voluntary or, or working the, on the, Sundays? The property managers in Euston can't do some property management maintenance in St Pancras because it's too far to walk. Because These are the sort of archaic They practices. work for different companies. No, they don't work for yes, different they companies. Do. They work for Network Rail. <laughs> But they're, they're in different they regions. No, so it's like, it's like, you, it's like you. Give me a break. Not, it's 400 yards down it's the like road, It's like you Steve. saying, why don't you go up and do, do something for ITV upstairs because you don't work for them. So you, you don't work want for a different region. So you just want more, more pay but with Sorry? no productivity improvements whatsoever. That's not well, a realistic world no, that everybody well, lives the re in. The realistic world is you and your mates who you uh, actually help, uh, you, you come on here as repeaters for, have got massive uh, tax breaks, you're offshoring money, you're offshore you're avoiding tax. Steve, you have no idea what you're talking about. I'm, ta I'm talking about, I'm no, talking about the rich in this country hang on who a offshore tax. Are you trying to say that doesn't happen? Hang on a minute. You were talking about us Sorry? two. No, we're well, talking about you were, us. I said your mates. You I were, said your mates. You said you said and your mates. mates, and you just accused Sorry, us. Sorry, have I rattled your cage? Yes, you have. Have you got something, have you got something offshore as well? Absolutely nothing no, whatsoever. Nothing. Have you not? Nothing okay. whatsoever. Although, frankly, okay. I'd quite like to oh, have yeah, it offshore. Oh, yeah, I bet you would. Yes, I would, because I don't think... An advertisement for the Hitler Youth, like you are. I don't think that my 
taxes are well used in this country, and I thoroughly yeah. well, why object... Why don't you leave him? Why don't you leave? I thoroughly well, why object... Why don't you leave? Why don't you stop, why do you stop lively people? Else? Why do you assume I've got mates who run huh? railway companies? I haven't got I any mates say, that I you didn't did. say that. You I said my I mates in the I system said, who I run the railways. I said your mates who are offshore Look, money. The reality is you You've just want more cash. You've got mates offshore money, aren't you? Nonsense. What are you what talking you have? about? You've, all you want to do is you want more cash for ever worse services. I think people are happy to pay for proper, decent do you railways and public do you, services. Do you, do you, under, do you understand, think... right? Do you understand that the money that the government are paying to train operating companies is actually getting paid out to shareholders? Do you understand that's where it's going? I do. Of course he does. Hundreds of millions. Of course I understand that. Do and you? and I've, said, I've said to your so, colleague, I've said to your so, colleague, Mick so Lynch, don't you right, you've so spoken, don't you now let me stop. So don't, I'm, I haven't I've, I've spoken to Mick Lynch so and I agreed with you. Quiet. I agreed with you. You shouldn't so be sending the, the money real, offshore. The reality, reality is, right, that if that money wasn't paid out to shareholders and it was paid out to the people that actually run the railway... As long as they run them properly, as, as efficiently, them, into a timely fashion, well, like right. happens in Switzerland. All right, let's, well, let's if that money was paid to the workers here. instead of the shareholders, there wouldn't be a problem with it. But you've got to have modern, contemporary working practices well, like rather than archaic practices like you've got. Sorry? Yeah, we work in the private sector. Yeah, yeah, and it's working out very well for you, isn't it? Well, I tell you what, it's which, not working see, out very we, well in the railways, see, we, is it? Where, well, where, where, it's no, a, no one's at work. It is a private sector in the railways. It's not, have, it, have you not understood that? Have you not understood that the state is subsidising the railways to a billion pounds years. a month? And it's, it's all going into... And, 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 and most, of it's going into, most of it's going into the pocket of shareholders. I want to help you find a solution. Oh, you seem like it. I do, but you don't seem to want to talk about productivity, do you? You don't want to talk about some modern-day practices... That helps the Look, industry. No one else in no one else in the UK has guaranteed. Let, let me know when I can speak. Well, I'm just uh, asking you, you a have, question. You have, let you me have know said when I can quite speak. a lot. Right. I would you say. made all sorts well, of you've asked, you've asked me on here to explain my position, but you're not giving no, me the chance. No, what you've okay. actually done is would sat you, there. Would you like Would you like me to speak? I, I'm not can sure. I, what's, I frankly, I'm not sure answer. what's going to come out of your mouth because well, you, well, well, we're in a similar situation. You sat there. You sat there. What's going to come out of your mouth? You oh, sat... I see that it's up there on the auto queue. You oh. sat there and ac... you're unfortunately not the auto queue. You yeah. sat there and accused me of being an advert for the Hitler Youth. How do well, you justify that? Well, because you that been... is downright offensive. You're, you're, you're an absolute fascist, right? You, uh, you, you're just you're ridiculous. A pair of, you're a pair of fascists. It's actually quite I, You sit here. You sit here. Listen, you sit honestly, here. This is actually a joke. You it is actually here. a joke. If you it's think a joke. that you you're, are you're a like good... Borat and Ali G. you're an embarrassment for your industry. You're an embarrassment for unions. How can you? How can you justify yourself? It's actually laughable. It really is laughable. You come on here and read out an auto queue. And get paid thousands right. of pounds. Steve, You're asking Steve. me how I justify myself. I think myself. you've dug your own grave. I think, yeah, well, we'll, okay. I think we'll move yeah. on. Thank you very much. Right, well, thank you. It's been uh, an absolute for, pleasure. for joining us. I don't think it has, has it? Thank you. Thank right. you, Steve. Next tonight, should employers have to give a proper justification as to why workers are not allowed to work from home? That's the call from a Conservative MP. Should we really be making it easier for people to work from home when an economy is on its knees. We'll be debating all of that and, of course, our reaction to that extraordinary chat with Steve Headley. Well, still to come, Veganuary and Dry January. Quite enough to turn you to drink and a fillet steak. Should we actually take part in these things when pubs, butchers and farmers need our support in the cost of living crisis? We'll be debating that one shortly. But actually, we've just got to take a breather <coughs> because that was quite a punchy start 
to the new year in terms... I mean, that's my first interview in the new year. And all Steve wanted to do was to throw, frankly, libelous allegations at the pair of us. Yeah. And he didn't really want to discuss the, the essence, the substance of the issue, which is how do we get through this issue with the rail strikes. Well, he had no original solutions. So his whole thing was, you're not original, you're just reading this. I mean, obviously, we weren't reading a, an interview with him. Uh, and then chucking out this wild stuff. Offshore money, Hitler youth, mad fascists. I mean, just completely bonkers. But In all my years of interviewing people, I have to say, I have never come across a character like him. And he was I actually found him quite offensive. He was offensive, he was libelous, he was a, a full-blown communist. But the reality is, he didn't want to talk about the substance of productivity improvements. Actually, he was really on the back foot when we talked about the old working practices, the Spanish mm -hmm. working practices, and I got him when I talked about the people who wouldn't do the property maintenance at St Pancras if they do property maintenance at Euston. Yeah, he didn't have an answer to that. He didn't have the answer because yeah. he knew I was right and he just didn't want to discuss it. And basically his whole thing was just attacking us personally. Just attacking us personally rather than saying, actually, how do we help the country? Quite extraordinary, it seems mm -hmm. to me. Anyway, there we are. Not a bad start to uh, Piers Morgan Uncensored in 2023. So, moving on, the chair of the Commons Women and Equalities Committee, Caroline Noakes, has called on employers to give a proper justification for denying workers the right to work from home. But as the economy is on its knees and so many people are suffering mental health issues, I just wonder whether working from home is really a force for good. Well, despite coming out of lockdown, figures are clearly showing that civil servants are still not back at their desks. Three years ago, there were some 27,000 desks being used in Whitehall, and now there's less than 22,000. That's a reduction of about a fifth. And across the whole of the UK, there's 1.8 million square metres of workspace that's no longer being used in the civil service. That's the size of about 250 football pitches. So, uh, joining us now are broadcaster Harriet Minter, uh, along with journalist Angela Epstein. Uh, and, Harriet, you've written quite extensively on this issue, isn't it? This is your, your main subject on yeah. uh, the kind of the, the merits, as it were, of working from home. So I have been a long-term fan of having more flexibility in how and where <laughs> we work. So thinking about, actually, how we move our working practices into the 21st century. We know that 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, was created by Henry Ford 100 years ago for workers on a production line. That's not how the majority of us are working in 2023. So we need to think about actually, how do we work in a way that is really efficient, that enhances productivity, and that gives people actually a better sense of their whole life and work as part of it, rather than trying to cram everything into the hours outside. Well, it all sounds very nicey-nicey, but what about productivity? I think because that's the key, because mm -hmm. if we look at productivity, the reality is that uh, certainly in the public sector, I think we're seeing some serious productivity issues. And I think this is a good moment to bring in the journalist Angela Epstein. Uh, Angela, a very good evening to you. Thanks for being with us. So what's your view on this? Harriet is, is convinced that working from home makes people more productive. I need a bit more convincing than that. What's your view, Angela? Well, let me just put a little bit of skin in the game here. Um, I, my second son is now 27 years old. Clearly, I was a child bride. Um, but, um, but I started working from home when I went freelance. I gave up a staff job after he was born. 
And it made me thoroughly miserable, but I battled on and did it through, for years through another two children. I think it made me a bad, a bad mother wow. because I was always <laughs> definitely. I think it made I was very frustrated because I was thinking, oh, if only I could just put on a suit, get out, finish the job at work, come home, and not have the work hanging over me all the time because it's ever present. And obviously, the work of a journalist is to that degree that kind of work. I mean, I wasn't a news reporter on the front line. I was. I was writing features, but you know, you're, you're not within the confines of an office. And I felt I lost a bit of my soul in the process. I felt guilty when the kids came in from school and I was halfway through something. I felt guilty if I, I mean, I always met a deadline, but sometimes it nearly killed me doing so. so um, and now I've reached a happy balance where I work not, I don't work at home, home is my base, but I also go into offices to do some of my work. I travel for work. Uh, and it's taken me a long time to get that balance too. But I think there's so much that people lose out on when they work from home. The social scale, I mean, we've talked about the economy, obviously, and the footfall for, for businesses that lose out from all the traffic of people using their facilities. But I think as individuals, I mean, I would hate it if uh, my children, my next gen the next generation in their 20s and whatever, um, work from home. I think you miss out on the social skills, the, the productivity, the, the ingenuity, the imagination, right. sparking off ideas, all yeah. of those things. Yeah, well, Angela, I was so interested in what you said there about working from home making you a bad mother. I mean, that's quite a divisive thing to say. I have to say, as a, uh, as a mother of three, I understand why you're saying that. I mean, children, especially when they're little, they seem to have a kind of magnet. Whenever you're on that laptop, they come right to you, don't they? Uh, and make your working life as difficult as it can. I and mean, you end up feeling that you're actually giving, not giving your best to either. Is that what you meant Absolutely. by that? I, I think so. I mean, when I when I say a, ba a bad mother, you know, I fed them and I loved the very bones of them and, and was there, you know, picking up from the school gates and doing all of those things. But I think on reflection and hindsight is a wonderful thing. Um, I hated the fact that a part of me was always sort of lurching elsewhere. Yes. And, and envy is a horrible thing. But I, I would look at, at friends who had kind of, um, can I say, ring fence jobs. So yes. a friend who would be a dentist or was was working in admin and there were specific hours and they gave their all. And yes, they had to negotiate with au pairs and nannies and, and play groups and things. But once they were in there, they became the person they were. And when they came home, they could then be mother again. So, um, so, and I think that makes it difficult. That's I, 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 I can see Harriet bad. absolutely <laughs> wincing here. I think you want to come in. <laughs> Harriet, you just... bounce in here. Um, but, but I do want to push this point it. about productivity yeah. because it's so important. Mm whether you're in the private sector or the public it sector. It is, and I'm so glad you raised it. So what we know is that in the first two quarters of 2022, which is the last point of data we have for productivity, productivity was higher than when it was pre-pandemic. So when we looked at productivity in 2019, 2022, when we had more people working from home, when we had more hybrid working, productivity is higher. And what's your source of that? Because anecdotally, uh, I'm going ONS. to push you on that. The, the Office for National Statistics. Okay. Yes. I, I noticed so, you've not commented on the, the oh, parenting the thing. Yes. So, so can I just no, ask, do I, you have children? I do not have children. Okay. I have uh, lots and lots of friends with children. But and you've I can never tell you tried that every, to do your job I have with not, children running around the house. I can tell you that house. every single woman <clears> I know who is a mother 
has told me that at some point they feel that they are a bad mother because they are working. Oh, it goes with the territory it goes generally, with the territory, right? right? That's part of it. So as far I mean, when people say to me, oh, if you're working from home, you feel like a bad mother, I have to laugh because I'm like, well, what do you want us all to do? To stop women working altogether and just send them back to be housewives? Is but, that what we should be saying? But I'm interested in this ONS point because anecdotally, if you just look at what's going on in the public sector, I think many I people would feel that productivity that is collapsing. that is why we I mean, have data, Richard, versus anecdotes. Yeah, but because actually, when we go but back anecdotes, they're not scientifically yeah, but, factually okay. so, so let, let's pick up the home so office. Right, but, so you've got the home office where there's about 62% in December were in the office. Yeah. We've got a situation where the Home Secretary admitted that uh, the caseworkers on the Illegal Migrants Cross Channel, they're doing one case a week. Uh, po quite possibly working from home. You've got DWP <laughs> So the, occupying... let's just separate this out. So we've got caseworkers doing casework doing one case a week. Which they and accept we've got is, which they all accept home, is not But we don't know enough. the two are connected. And that's why we look for the data, you see, where we question it, where we don't say, oh, they're working from home, therefore they're not doing but, the work. But, but let's take passports. We look at them and say, why is it, why, they're only doing one so, case so, a week. Why is it so complicated? Why is it so hard? Well, well, maybe let's look at passports, for example. And we know that actually getting a, new, a renewal of a passport became increasingly difficult over the last 12 months did that when the passport office were working from were home. Because people were not productive, or did it become difficult well, it because, because they didn't have the technology arguably, and the system set up to do it properly? Now, that's a different thing. If well, we're saying that well, actually our government is not set up for work in the 21st century... Ah, so you're agreeing with me that the public sector is less that. productive? No, I'm not. I'm saying if that was the case, and please do show me the data, not the anecdotes, but if that was the case... We have to look actually not just at the people, but at the technology and the systems that are in place. Well, the passport it. data was clearly irrefutable. Everybody could see that. Angela, do you want to just uh, pop in here on this critical <laughs> issue? As a business person myself, yeah. I'm very focused on productivity. And I just think it's collapsing in the public sector where there's a lack of accountability. Absolutely. And, and you know, we've got an energy crisis and we're, we're heating and we're lighting all these buildings and nobody's there. They're all at home on their on their computers, eating hobnobs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm not not suggesting people that work from home are slackers and they're not doing their bit. And there are plenty of people that I know work very hard. And there is scope for flex flexible working. I mean, it would have helped as a, a, you know, I would have definitely gone back to a staff job if there'd been flexibility in terms yeah. of being able well, things to have got some work from home or finish front. earlier and carry on in the evening. I think a lot of of women, not just women with children, you know, I, I don't want to sort of, you know, prejudice others. There might be people with other domestic commitments, uh, elderly parents, somebody infirm within the family who would appreciate that flexibility. But I think what we miss out on here, productivity is, is, a, is a response to our humanity. We're human beings. When we work yeah. well, we work we work with other we do more we produce indeed more. when we're happy in our work we do it we do our work better indeed um, and we're thank not you distracted. thank you so much uh, angela and thank you very much thank Harry. you harriet i mean maybe there's a there's a sort of a hybrid where we could all agree that actually maybe if you're sort of reading or some boring dull report you might best do that at home or writing a report there's a sort of hybrid maybe three, three and a half days in the office and a day, two days a week working from home. I mean, the, the kind of the flip side of this, and I think the hybrid thing is quite attractive, is if people begin to feel under pressure that they should be able to work from home. And I do think that um, Angela made a really important point there about parents. Look, it's really hard to work from home. When your children are little, you do end up feeling like everything's just an absolute mountain to climb you're you're parenting poorly you're not working properly because you can't concentrate and it would be pretty bad if it got to a point where we fetishize working from home so much that actually 
parents of young children are feeling forced into that setting. And, and then you get more stressed and under more pressure, actually, from, from your employers, from and your then, bosses. And we're full-scale back into the mental health thing. Back into the whole mental health thing. Great. Well, there we are. Fascinating discussion. We'll be talking more about working from home for sure. Coming up, things seem to be working pretty well when the military run the logistics, although you wouldn't believe it if Steve Headley was in charge. Uh, passport control, that was working well. Building the Nightingale, hospitals, the vaccine rollout, the Queen's extraordinary funeral arrangements, to name just a few. So is it time for the military to solve the management crisis in the NHS? We'll debate all that coming up next. 45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, still to come tonight, the fun police are encouraging us to take part in Veganuary and Dry January after overindulging over Christmas. Well, I don't think I did. Maybe you did. Maybe I did. <laughs> um, is it really what we should be doing when so many businesses are struggling? So we'll be discussing that shortly. But first, of course, it's a new year, but reports of a crisis in the NHS are sadly nothing new. Health Secretary Steve Barclay has been blaming high cases of flu, COVID and fears over Strep A for what he's called the massive pressure the NHS is facing over this period. But isn't this all just feeling a bit like Groundhog Day? I mean, every year in the country, the media spend the whole of January reporting about a crisis across the NHS, our hospitals and always lay the blame at the feet of the government and a lack of funding. So the question is... Is it time we bring in the army uh, to help with logistics and help get things back on track? Well, joining us to discuss this is former chairman of the British Medical Association, Chand Nagpal, along with British Army commander down the line, Colonel Richard Kemp. And a very good afternoon, evening to you, Chand. Um, so, uh, yet again, we've got uh, a winter crisis. This feels as bad as ever, but... Every winter we hear it's as bad as ever. And 
the NHS has never had more money. So, so what's going wrong? It, uh, I just wonder whether actually it's you've got the doctors and the nurses and the consultants trying to do a brilliant job on the front line, but they're constantly let down in the back office by the management. Look, um, we've, uh, as you said, been in crisis for a long time. Uh, in fact, I remember before the pandemic hit us in, in about December, January 2020, I, I was doing interviews about the crisis then. If you remember, there was also the Red Cross were drafted in. Yeah. So we've actually had many years of the NHS trying to provide a service without the infrastructure of doctors, nurses, beds, community facilities that we have actually needed. But what's different this time is the scale and magnitude of what is a, an incredible pressure with a backlog of 7 million patients waiting for treatment. And there's also another hidden backlog, which we don't talk about. I'm a GP, and it's a backlog of suffering. It's about people who don't come into the statistics of needing an operation, but uh, children waiting a year for a mental health assessment, people with diabetes, but rheumatoid, who are waiting a year to see and, a specialist. And the suffering is, is horrific, but we know waiting lists are yeah. record highs. Yes. Spending is at a record high. So you've got to say, look, it's not working under the current system. Something needs to give. Something needs to be reformed. Mm. Where can we bring in extra help urgently? It's not just a question of taking years to train the staff. So I want to bring in Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, former Army, British Army commander. Richard, a very good evening. Thanks for joining us. Look, we've seen in, in other walks of life uh, the, the, the military be superb at organising things, logistics. We know in the NHS, for example, one of the crises we constantly hear, and Chan may have a, a, hopefully agree on this, is that too many people are, are sort of blocking beds and not getting through the system. Could the army play a useful role in the logistics of getting a flow-through faster of patients into A&E, through A&E, into the hospitals and, and back out, preferably, to home? We might as well. The army is sorting everything else out for the country at the present, so let's bring them into this. Might as well. Uh, to be honest, I, I think, you know, the, the armed forces exist to defend this country, but they also have a core role of standing in or, or providing support for the civilian authorities when... The government deems that's necessary and if it does deem that's necessary now then let them do it i'm sure they can bring a lot to the party they during the covid crisis they played a major role in helping the nhs to plan and organize a pandemic that they hadn't faced before uh, and and that was a, you know that was an important function so they could do that now they could certainly do that now it's, it's not the answer i mean the answer is for the nhs to sort itself out or to be sorted out some other how and the armed forces are not, they don't exist just to put sticking plasters on government to other government departments that don't work properly. I want to bring Charm back in here because you referred to the huge backlog which was linked to the response to the pandemic. Yes. Um, I mean, the BMA had to play its part in that, though, didn't it? You say you're a GP. Yes. Uh, one of the reasons there is such a backlog is because there was not good access to GP services during the pandemic. 
your members are responsible for that partly, are they not? No, I, I wouldn't uh, say that at all. In fact, uh, uh, we and myself as a GP uh, followed, in fact, the instructions, the directives of NHS England. It was NHS England who actually told us that we should not be uh, spreading the infection in our waiting rooms. Well, which, you, well, you so, could have pushed but, back on sure, that, couldn't but, you? You could have pushed back and you chose yeah. instead to repeatedly endorse the whole online appointment thing, sure. which of course works for mm. some people, mm. but was pretty catastrophic yeah. for others. Sure. But you know, the, the <laughs> ultimate issue we have in the NHS isn't about what may or may not have occurred during the COVID pandemic, although that of course has made things much worse. But what we've seen over successive years before the pandemic is a downgrading of our infrastructure. And you know, when you just look at the facts, we have about 45,000 fewer doctors compared to OECD averages. Germany has three times as many, four times as many hospital beds per capita. France, three times as many. So, uh, so in fact, we don't but have I'm gonna, I'm gonna, capacity. Yeah, but I'm going to pick you up on there because actually it's, the OECD spending, the UK is almost bang in the middle of average spending per capita, which is the right measurement to use. So that seems to prove that you're right. The data clearly shows there's not enough doctors yes. per thousand, nor nurses, nor beds. So therefore, where's the money going? Sure. And my concern is the money is going to ever more layers of bureaucracy, bloated management that's actually blocking things. And that's why I think it may be useful to bring in another pair of eyes to help out. We all want this great public service to work smoother, faster and with better outcomes. Look, we all want um, the NHS and I want the NHS to be as efficient as possible. But I think that when you look at current spending, which includes the spending on during the COVID period, including the 37 billion spent on tests and trace, that's not the same as what has occurred in the last 10 years, where the UK has spent, according to the Nuffield Trust, about £30 billion less than do, our EU neighbours. Do you think that £37 billion on test and trace was money well spent? No, I don't. I okay. really don't. Um, I, 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 we, we, I mean, I don't need to re rehearse all the arguments. It really was a huge sum of money that did not achieve what it should have done. OK, and to ask a, a really difficult mm. question, is the NHS, as it currently is, is it fit for purpose? I think, um, and I, I actually really believe that the NHS, if it was given the right infrastructure, would be fit for purpose. And I'll tell you why I That's say That's not what I ask. I ask is, is it fit for purpose now? At the moment, it's certainly not delivering okay. on, the, on, on the population's needs. But I'm very... So it's not fit for purpose? No, I didn't say that. It is fit for purpose as a system. And I remember, I've been a GP for 30 years, and I remember when I was telling patients that the standard for them was to actually wait 18 months for a hip operation. That was the, that was the standard of the NHS. I saw the investment during, um, it was actually uh, Tony Blair's term, and it went down to 18 it weeks. Yes. So what yes. it proves is that give us the right resources, yeah. we can deliver... But one of the service. reasons for that, actually, and you're quite right about mm. that, is that they use the private healthcare sector much, much more than is currently the case. Just before we finish, I just want to go back to Colonel Kemp, because um, this issue of, uh, you know, Chand accepts that things are not working as they should. Just what sort of capacity might there be within logistics or engineers for how many months to try and to try and help solve some of the blockages that feels to me such a critical short-term issue well i think uh, the armed forces helped during covid and one of the major it wasn't just manpower it wasn't just providing people to do jabs or to take tests but one of the major issues was organization the armed forces know how to organize in the yeah. event of a crisis and that's what they use. They, they use those skills. And that helps, I think, the NHS enormously. In addition to that, there is, of course, 
medically trained personnel in the forces. There are doctors, nurses, other specialists who could be deployed, but on a relatively limited scale because the army's been cut or the armed forces have been cut to such a degree. There's actually very few of them now compared to what, what perhaps once there was. So they could provide an impact. They could provide help. But I think mainly they, you know, if, if I was to guess what assistance they would provide, it would be in terms of organization and planning leadership as well. And I think leadership is, in many ways, is a fundamental issue here. The armed forces is, is pretty good at leadership. Obviously, there's a lot to be desired in some yeah. respects. But I think one thing that, I, that seems to me to stand out about the NHS is a lack of leadership. You've got too many people who are being paid too much money to be directors of diversity Richard, or of lived experience and not enough people actually... Don't get us started on the, the directors of done. lived experience. Richard, thank you so much for your thoughts. Without question. And, John, uh, thank you so much indeed. I think that's the point, though. What Colonel Kemp says about leadership and looking at it from afar and coming in and saying, right, you should do this and this and that... That's real leadership. I also just think we've got to be much more honest about the state of this thing. I mean, how long do we go on saying it's on, it's on the brink of collapse and all of that? It is broken. And the question now is, do we actually have to have a fundamental rethink about what the NHS does? Well, I think we absolutely do. Uh, I think we've got to have fundamental reform. We all want the NHS to be brilliant, but the truth is, at the moment, sadly, it's not. Well, next tonight, yes... Prince Harry, we've got to talk about him. He says he wants to be part of his beloved family, not an institution. But is there any way back for him after this latest explosive interview and even more bombshells on the way in his latest, his new memoir, Spare? We'll be discussing that up next. Welcome back. Well, like most people, Rich and I spent the last few weeks stuffing ourselves with turkey and drinking a little too much booze. Well, actually, I'm not sure I did. I was quite careful. I'm not so sure about you. I'm a bit worried about my scales. You went on sure. the scales and then claimed they were broken. Exactly. Didn't you? Well, you know, I've got to find I, some excuse. I have to say, I have a top tip for that. Have you ever tried moving your scales around the bathroom? Because <laughs> you can get different results. Like if you move them different places, I got about five different results. I'm going with the lowest one. Uh, and, of course, the start of January always comes with the fun police telling us all uh, that we should be not drinking and going for some veganuary scenario. I am really? not so sure about all I'm of that. I'm not sure at all. I mean, we've got landlords, farmers <coughs> facing the strain, the cost of living crisis biting. Is it really time? Do we just look after our health? Or maybe we should look after the pubs and the butchers instead? Well, joining us now is broadcaster, former Brexit Party MEP Alex Phillips, and the Talk TV commentator, Paula Roan-Adrienne. Great to have you with us uh, and, for the pack. Uh, but... And look what treats we've got you. Now, we know how to give everyone a good time when they come <laughs> on. I want it. The smell. <laughs> like, no, I'm for it. Really? So, yeah. Well, what even is it? Perhaps, Alex, you can explain to us what's it's actually on this It's saving plate. the world. It's saving That's the world. Oh, come it on. It's <laughs> saving the world and it's saving yourself. From what? From fat, from cholesterol, from high blood. So is this your salt? thing? Absolutely. None of that is going to save me. I mean, seriously. Well, so these look OK. So these are sausage rolls with no, presumably no pork. Um, I have no idea what that kind of pasty thing is that's going on. OK, I'm going to be bullish. I'm going to be bullish. Come on, Richard. I'm going in. I'm going in. You keep talking, folks. Well, this is vegan cheese. We're literally seeing... 
the lifeblood oh. come back into you. No, I think that's what's happening live on air. See, I want Does it look as though blood is rising in my face? It's plastic. I am seeking volunteers for this pink thing, matching my shirt. I don't know what it's made uh, of. Yeah, no, I, when I thought it was in? just a load of sort of no. processed cow parts or no, something, I was for it. Now I, I know that it's made of mould and fungus in a vat in a factory. I'm not so interested. It's vegan ham, actually, just to correct you on that. It's vegan ham. Um, right. I've never so, looked up how they make vegan food, though. It is genuinely moulds and fungus and all sorts of it weird can, swill. It, it that's oh, now you tell me. I've just eaten some of it. I know. <laughs> but it's also about sustainability, though, on a serious note. It's about sustainability. It's about us trying to find new ways in which we're going to keep the planet alive and ourselves uh, yes, because we're not going to starve to death thanks to climate change etc we're not going to be seeing masses of refugees coming across what? the channel because we've got crickets now that we can eat we've got ants we can but eat Paula, what's we've more got... sustainable okay. than a wonderful wonderful beef herd of Aberdeen Angus creating delicious meat when they're grass-fed. She grass has just set herself up for something here, because she started talking about <laughs> insects and yes. things. So next time, I have yes. to say, we will have a plate full of insects <laughs> for you. We're going to do it. You Alex, are. you and I, we I can know, do I, it. I went to one of those restaurants. It's not good. <laughs> You're the first in the queue. I actually, rarely, I agree with you on some of this. I'm not so keen on the whole vegan thing, but definitely we should be eating less meat, yes. and I don't think that's going to But the thing is about this vegan trend that people don't understand, and also, you know, what, what do you think powers those factories? Happiness and joy and goodwill for the environment? Of course it doesn't. Wind. The thing is about wind stuff farms. like... It gives you wind, I'm sure. <laughs> when it's what, it, yeah, exactly. That'll give me plenty of wind later <laughs> on. The thing is about these trends... Look, these health fads, big food, the big food industry jumps on them. They did it with low fat. They're doing it with veganism. They try and make you feel like you're going to be healthier. It's going to be better for the world. It's just a way for them to sell more ultra-processed rubbish, make a profit. It doesn't make people healthier. It doesn't move the needle on climate change at all. It's a con. Well, but we know that type 2 diabetes is one of the biggest killers now that we're oh, confronting. We're like third, we third in Europe in terms of obesity. We're gonna, at that, we're going to move on because, because we've got you know, another huge issue once again. It's issue Prince Harry. Hot air in this hot case. Air. More hot air from Prince <laughs> Harry. Uh, and he has got an interview coming up this weekend uh, with Tom Bradby, who is a mm. former Royals correspondent, knows the Royals very well. Uh, and I think it, it's looking pretty spicy. I wonder if we've got a clip of that that we can show here. And every single time I've tried to do it privately, there have been briefings and leakings and planting of stories against me and my wife. You know, the family motto is never complain, never explain. But it's just a motto. Ah, that wasn't Tom Bradby, was it? In any case, um, <laughs> I think that the uh, Bradby interview is going to be pretty yes. punchy. And yeah, it's yet, look, Sunday, it's yet it? more mm. whinging from Harry. Now, Paula, you're inclined to be sympathetic, aren't you? Tell us why. Well, I just want to just focus on that word that you use, the adjective of describing what we're going to be hearing on Sunday evening. You yes. said whinging. And, and Isabel, I know you're not talking about another human being whinging about racism. And I know that you're not talking oh, about another human I being talking whinging about, about mental health and exactly whinging about, about their loved one wanting to commit suicide. We heard her own mother saying that so heartfelt, so emotionally. It, so we're not talking it. about whinging. We don't need any more of that, though, do we, really? Well, clearly we do, because clearly people are not listening, and what we're getting is just this kind of brick wall effect. And when we get the brick wall effect, what that means is, is that the person who is hurting is going to keep on talking. But, but, but why, why would you talk so openly to the whole world? If, you've got, if you want to resolve matters with your family... If you want to resolve your, your, your mental health issues, surely do that privately. 
you know, with your loved ones, with your family, Alex, surely that's the right way. What I don't get is, you know, he's talking about how the media gave him a hard time, all the intrusion into his life, how it's caused him so much distress, how it's caused his wife so much distress, all the backlash against her. And what they're doing is just courting more of that. Yeah. It's a bit like giving an arsonist a lighter. If I was their therapist, I'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe don't do the big global six-series Netflix thing. You know? But they're not listening. He, he's answered that question. He said to us, down that camera, he said to us, every time I wanted to do it personally, I then read something about me. I then saw a report about me and my wife. No, I tried on. to this do it is, personally. This is a Harry so do, do we hear that? Oh, it's a do we hear that, we, that he tried to do it personally, or do we just simply dismiss it? And this is where we go back to your question, Richard. Should we be doing this in private? Should we be we doing this personally exactly. about mental health? Let me answer that question. No. When you are talking about something so powerful, something that has changed your life, ripped you away from your family. You've got to but be able to speak you... about it openly. Well, look, I, I, I think we're not going to agree on this corner <laughs> on this one, I'm afraid. But <laughs> Let's I have a sausage roll. We've, we've only got... <laughs> no, definitely not. Had enough of those. <laughs> we've got just one minute left, and um, we did want to talk about masks, masks didn't we? Because yes. they are making a horrible reappearance. Alex, I can hear in your voice, you have got <clears> cold... <throat> I've got a cold. He's recovering from cold. We would, frankly, have spent the whole of Christmas and the new year behind a mask if we followed government advice. Paula, you on for masks? Or... Absolutely. I got, a text message from my, I got a text message from my GP this morning oh my asking God. me if I'm going to come in, wear a mask, and I'm going to wear it because uh -uh. the NHS are asking me to. And that's our responsibility. What, so you just follow but, but, blindly. But, but it's our, our, responsibility, responsibility. our responsibility is to follow the evidence. And there's no evidence globally whatsoever that ordinary signal. masks make any difference. It didn't help people in Germany. It didn't help us with the Omicron variant, that there's no scientific evidence, Paula, that they make any difference at all, except to frighten people. So why would you do it? Well, I tell you what frightens me. What frightens me is what's happening in China at the moment. What's frightening... Masks have what's made no difference. Well, what's, well, they no had difference. lockdown, and everyone complained about that. They've lifted lockdown, and look what's happening. And what's frightening me... the lockdowns don't work, but let's keep on masks. what's frightening me is what's currently happening in the NHS. We are being told that the NHS cannot cope. We are being told 500 people a week, Most 300 people a week. Fix it, We're being told COVID is... It's worse now than COVID was. Let's help the NHS. And if they say wear a mask, we wear a mask. Uh, Alex. I was going to say, what frightens me is I've got such limited capacity in my facial hydraulics as it is. If I stick a mask <laughs> on myself, you're going to have to give me CPR on the table. I can barely breathe right now. I mean, don't well, stick I, anything more on my face. I think I need a mask from that vegan stuff. <laughs> well, that's it from us. We're going to be back tomorrow. Whatever you're up to, make sure it's uncensored. Let's try this. Good night. <laughs>